This is the Happy Rant Sports Podcast, in which Ted Cluck and Barnabas Piper rant about old sports, new sports, sports books, sports movies, and anything else related to sports that they feel like. Enjoy. Hey, welcome to the Happy Rant Sports Podcast. I am Ted Cluck, joined, as always, in studio by my good friend and my partner in sports radio, Barnabas Piper. Pipe, we have uh, exciting things to talk about today. We have NBA playoffs things. We have the the sizzling red-hot starts of both the Mariners and the Twins, and then also the Mariners completely going into the tank the last couple weeks, which uh, is going to be a little bit sadder for me to talk about than you. But uh, I look forward to talking some baseball pipe and some NBA playoffs. But first, um, I need your help, man. I need your help putting a sports analogy to a phenomenon that I'm dealing with this week. So... Uh, if you're new to the program, I'm a college professor. Uh, I teach journalism at a Christian college, and I'm at that point in the semester. Uh, it's finals week, and this is the point where all the students who have underperformed and been lazy come out of the woodwork to like lobby for why they should get a great grade uh, and why I should cut them. <laughs> because grades are subjective, Ted. Don't we know this? Absolutely. Dude, I feel like everybody craps on this generation for being lazy, but they, they're actually incredible at like – at, at crafting an argument for themselves for something they haven't earned. So like, yeah, I, I like do there, there's the a certain element of like, Oh, you're a hustler. Like you will go after Absolutely. it. You just, you're just going after the wrong thing at the wrong time. Dude. Right. You're not going to do any work on the front end yet. You're going to, you're going to advocate passionately for yourself when, uh, when it's really too late to do anything about it. So, um, you know, we got, we got on the call today, we got on the radio and, we were both speculating about how there has to be the perfect sports analogy for this phenomenon. Um, sort of a, a player who thinks too highly of himself or a team that had too high of expectations but didn't meet, meet the expectations and still insist that they're a great team. So uh, what do we have on this pipe? Yeah, so, I, so two ideas came to mind for me in terms of sort of what is the sports equivalent to – the student who turned in everything late or didn't turn it in and still thinks they deserve a, you know, an A minus. Um, one is the team that objectively loses a game or series and then blames the referees. So here's looking at you, Daryl Morey, uh, Mr. Statistical analysis yourself, you know, you can go audit a series that you guys lost, you know, last year and whine about the referees, but you still lost. And so there's that option. I think the more accurate one, though, is the player who just declares themselves to be the best when there's so many pieces of evidence that they're like 12 guys better than they are. Here's looking at you, Kyrie Irving. Yeah, Kyrie Irving's on this. You know, he he has declared himself to be a team leader, even though it seems that nobody wants to follow him or particularly likes him. Um, There's the... Who was it? it? Was like OJ Mayo or Lance Stevenson? You know, a few years ago, it was like I'm the <laughs> yeah. best guard in the NBA. That's yep. really the equivalent. It's the yeah. it's the it's not even the guy who's in like the top ten. It's the guy who's maybe an eighth man, exactly. Who's, who's always borderline not going to get another contract. Who's like, no, I believe I'm the best. That's the guy who shows up in your office yesterday and says, Absolutely. "Can I get an A despite not doing the work?" Dude, Kyrie would be an incredible college student in 2019. He would be the guy that like talks a little bit too much in class um, about about things that don't exactly matter. He would be the guy that like runs for student body president and wins because nobody else runs and then declares himself an amazing leader. Kyrie would be and, and a lot of students fall into this category. He would be like the amazing resume guy, but you still wouldn't want to hire him. You know what I mean? It's like I'm looking at you on paper and everything kind of makes sense. Everything falls into place, but I, I still don't want you on my team. You know, I feel like that's Kyrie, the student. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think that's true. It's the, and, and the thing is, cause he, he really does have everything going for him, except for the fact that he's utterly unlikable. That's it. Yeah. Like even a, even a a name that we compared him to a Reggie Miller, right? Great nineties NBA basketball name played for the Indiana Pacers. He was a legend. Opposing fan bases hated him. Um, His fan base loved him. He kind of played in a mid-major city. Um, Reggie had the begrudging kind of respect of everyone. Um, but yeah, Kyrie doesn't even have that, man. No, it's, not his, uh, not his own teammates, not his right. own coach. I don't even think his fan base, like, I think fan bases, when he comes to the team, they're like, oh, we want to like this guy. So in Cleveland, he was the number one overall pick, you know, like we, we want to like this guy. And yeah. then, but he was always like, 
the whiny little brother to LeBron. And plus that was LeBron's city at that point. And yeah. then he goes to Boston and Boston, you know, Boston's ready to embrace anybody on their teams. Like they, they love their players and he's just gone out of his way to be unembraceable. And yeah. uh, yeah, he's a, he's a challenging case. I think, I think we should probably call the phenomenon of your students. I, I mean, I, I propose we call it the, uh, the Lance Stevenson phenomenon. Dude, I love it. Just the, love it. the irrational confidence based on absolutely nothing with no track record and absolutely. utter certainty of success. Also, I just love the idea of something being named after Lance Stevenson. Yes. Um, that's a that's a good thing. Yeah, Kyrie is like he he's like that transfer student now that comes in and, and talks about how amazing they were at their last college. Like, well, I got four points in all my classes at you know my last college. I don't I don't know what the deal is here, you know. Um, so, and we oh, get those oh you mean the, oh, you mean the junior college, that one? Yeah, good job <laughs> exactly. With that. Exactly. Well, I'm glad we got that sussed out, Piper. I'm glad we got it squared away. And um, I would like Piper's- you to start referring to these students as Lance. So when they when they leave your office, just go, thanks for stopping in, Lance. And just I think that would enhance the whole uh, the whole interaction. I think it would be good. I think it would be really good. And it would also be a way for me to retain a little bit of pride and sanity this week because right. uh yeah, continuing to answer these emails, it is a it is a life sucking proposition. Make no mistake about it. Pipe, do you do you feel like? I feel like when I was in college, and maybe it was a little bit different when you were there because you're a few years younger than me. When I was in college, I never addressed my my professors unless I absolutely had to. Like I was never lobbying for a grade. I would never send that email of, well, you know, would you take a look, take another look at my at my paper, you know, like. I, I just didn't do that. Whereas I feel like everybody in 2019 is a lobbyist. See, um, I would, I would, I would make requests. I did yeah. this once or twice, but it was always with full knowledge that I had dropped. Like I had just flopped because there was, a, especially my first couple of years in college, I just didn't go to class that much, and because yeah. I just decided I didn't like classes and I wasn't going to go. Yeah. Uh, for my younger listeners. That's a bad idea, and that's a really crappy attitude. Don't be like me. Um, Dude, listen to my first two years of college thing. I would go because my my dad had made this offhanded comment one time about how he never skipped a college class. So I, I felt this like Puritan sort of compulsion to go, but then I would just leave early, which I think is even worse than your thing. It's even more rude. Um, so yeah, young listeners, don't be like either of us. Um, we were the worst our first two years of college. Yeah, uh, I mean, it, it took me five years out of college to figure out, well, yeah, probably about five years to figure out what, what it means to have a work ethic. So yeah. um, if you figure it out now, college students, you'll be way better off. Um, but But I would go to professors and say, basically, full admission, I know I have been lazy and didn't do any work. Is there anything additional I can do to earn a few extra points? Oh yeah, the anything additional email, absolutely. Which is which is probably equally as dumb, but at least it's coming from a place of, look, I'm a screw up, but would yeah. you throw an opportunity my way just to show you that I can do work, as opposed to I didn't do any work, give me free things, dude. Let me tell you, I would kill for the can I do anything extra email at this point. Like you hardly even get that anymore. Um, cause it's all just advocating pipe. I have, I have another question for you vis-a-vis college students in 2019. Do you feel like they, and I'm, I'm talking about like writing related classes now or, or anything creative. I, I feel like back in the day we had an innate sense of sort of where we stood in relationship to other people. So like when I was in college, I was operating under no like misconceptions that I was the best writer, uh, in part because I had never thought of myself as a writer and I'd never really tried it. Um, I don't know. I feel, I feel like now, you know, a student can be in classes like workshopping their work all semester. I can give them a B and they can be like, well, I just really feel like, you know, my stuff fill in the blank. Um, and it's like, really like what class have you been sitting in all semester? Um, I don't, I don't know. I, f- I feel like there's some delusion. There's some, some yeah, self deluding going on. Absolutely. It's the, it, it, I mean, it's like the American Idol phenomenon, except mm. just in the classroom, you know, where they're like, well, I know I can sing. And you're like, no, the entire nation just watched you not be able to hit a note. You very <laughs> exactly. clearly can't sing. Dude, right. Um, and then they get onto that little interview at the end and they're like, well, nobody's going to derail my dreams. I know I can right, do my this. My mom said I could sing. I'm like, well, right. you, your mama didn't love you enough to tell you the truth. Yeah. Um, and 
yeah, I think that's true. It, and back to sports, you see the same thing there where people are like, well, no, I should be the starting quarterback. You have a noodle arm and can't read a defense and get sacked yeah. on your third play. You very clearly shouldn't be the starting quarterback. Right. Like what practices have you been going to? You know, like what are you, what are you seeing that I'm not? It's, it's fascinating. And I feel like we need sports because sports pipe, it's the last bastion of like true objectivity in our culture. Yes. Um, I mean, and you can still be delusional in the midst of it because ego is a ego is a heck of a drug. But uh, but generally speaking, the results speak for themselves and you just get the shine knocked off you if you're bad. Absolutely, man. And it's so good, though. Like, it's such a a growing, healthy kind of thing to have happen. And, And let me let me lay a little existential thing on you. Um, something I'm enjoying is like an older man. I love watching the ends of games, like the end of any game. Even if I don't really care about the teams, I just love the finality of it. I love the, I, I love the, the, the kind of squared off the neatness of there's a winner, there's a loser. It's indisputable. Um, I'm just really enjoying that. Whether it's baseball, whether it's the NBA finals, we had a great end of a game last night. Um, the, the Toronto Philly game, the NBA finals, which we should probably talk about, but I I just, I do, I find myself in this age of ambiguity and in this age of like constant lobbying, like really leaning into the, the objectivity of sports in a way that I don't think I did before. Well, yeah. And the thing about sports is unless it's the, I mean, it, unless it's the last game of somebody's career, there's always sort of the, like you live to fight another day. So, yeah, you know baseball we both love baseball there's 162 games and so baseball is one of those things so i was watching the twins a couple days ago playing the tigers the twins were down by two runs going into the bottom of the ninth they get a guy on base and like there's this bated breath yeah that the tying run is at the plate they end up not getting any runs across and so they lose and so objectively like they did not do what it took and there was no whining there was no we deserve to win there was just ah frustrating we didn't do what it took we'll be back tomorrow to play again and And that is, there's just, there doesn't seem to be that level of like clean cut as well as just sort of the, I will do better next time attitude in the, in, in any sort of subjective climate, you know, creativity. I I was about to say the classroom, except the classroom is supposed to be objective. It's totally not though. (laughs) I mean, it's totally, it's totally, totally not. I mean, it's a, it's like you've turned into, instead of a professor, you're like an Olympic judge. Dude, right. You're, you're like, just I'm going to give you an 8.7. And they're like, no, no, I deserve a 9.3. And you're like, well, no, it's an 8.7 because I'm the judge. But that's yeah. subjective. Oh, it's wild, man. It's it's so wild. And you're really just a facilitator. And yeah, it, it almost makes me wish. And I love my job. Let me let me caveat it by saying that. I really do love. Just not this week. Yeah, not this week. I, I, I love teaching writing. And I love helping writers get better. And I, I don't even mind grading. Like I... I enjoy reading their work and commenting on it and all that stuff, but it's just the, it's actually the physical act of assigning a letter grade and then just knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt that I can name the six students right now that I'm going to get emails from, you know, like I can set my watch by the protest emails that I'm going to get. And it's just that, that aspect of it is kind of daunting. And and that's the, that's the part of it that makes me wish I had chosen a career in sports. Um, because even writing in, in this day and age, like it's much less satisfying, you know, every written work is just an invitation to like have people yelling and screaming over some aspect of it. So, um, yeah, I, I find myself envious of, you know, athletes, football players, football coaches, baseball players. I mean, these guys, not that they haven't made, but theirs is a, it's a bit simpler of a life in terms of, you know, I think you always know where you stand in sports and that's, that's part of what's cool about it. Um, but you're right. I mean, the, the end of a game is never really the end and that the Sixers will be back next year. Um, so let's, uh, let's transition a bit into NBA talk, Piper. Uh, we had an unbelievable finish last night. Toronto closed out, uh, the Philadelphia 76ers and the process, uh, in a game seven went right down to the wire, went right down to the last shot. Um, it was an incredible high arcing shot that bounced around a whole bunch and then went in allowing Toronto to advance. What, uh, what are your thoughts on the Sixers at this point, Pipe? They are, uh, well, first of all, I think they're going to fire their head coach. Um, yeah, I think Brett Brown was, you know, he deserves a lot of credit for weathering that, that process, you know, going from, we have zero NBA players to, we have multiple number one picks, um, and have signed some free agents and were a legitimate contender. Um, but 
he's just not a very good coach. He's yeah. not creative. He can't figure out how to put guys in position to win. He mismanages the minutes of their their most valuable player, Joel Embiid. Um, I, I don't know that he's a bad NBA coach, but he's not a championship-level coach. And they are at a point where they need they need the coach who can get them to the championship. Because I think they were good enough to go this year, talent-wise. Like they're not, yeah. they're not measurably different in talent from Milwaukee or Toronto or Boston or whoever uh, in the Eastern Conference. But they 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 just didn't they weren't coached well i think the other thing is it's it's going to take a really creative mind to figure out if and how ben simmons and joel Embiid can play together because the nba is a league where if you have multiple bad shooters on the floor at the same time and ben simmons isn't even a bad shooter he just doesn't shoot um it's really hard to run an offense dude it is Dude, do you feel like there was something lacking in Embiid as an alpha? Like, don't don't you think this was kind of his time to, like, rise up, take over, be the superstar that we all kind of want him to be and think that he is, except that he was always tired or always had the flu or, you know. I, mean, I think I think that's um, possible. I, I think – so a couple thoughts on that. First yeah. is due to his health issues, he might – I mean, it's possible he just will never be in great enough shape to put up, you know, to regularly play 44 minutes in a playoff game. Um, you know, I think that's, I think he played 48 or something like that in, in this game. I don't know that he sat at all. Yeah. Maybe a little bit, but, um, but then the other thing is no NBA player outside of LeBron takes their team to the finals under the age of like 25 or 26. Yeah. Um, I mean, Tim Duncan went, but that, that was David Robinson's team and then transitioned to him. It takes a every great player takes their lumps before they get over, you know, they get over the hump to be a championship player. And I think that's, this is part of it from, I think, yeah, just getting, getting a devastating loss will either prove that he is nothing or make him, you know, a top five player. Dude, Um, how old is Giannis? He can't be much older than 24, 25. He came into the league at 19. Yeah. So he's, I mean, he's young and a a monster already. Um, I think, so here's (laughs) A take on Ben Simmons. Do you remember yeah. Rajon Rondo when he was young and athletic? Yeah, totally. Isn't Ben Simmons just a six ten Rondo, but with the without <laughs> the alpha gene? Yeah, I, I think he is. I think he is. I mean, That's a great comparison. He 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 will not shoot. Period. Yeah. And the difference is that Rondo would actually have monster playoff games. You know put up like yeah. 29, 12 rebounds and 16 assists and stuff like that. Or he put up 40 in one game because he's just he just wouldn't stop going to the hoop. Right. And Simmons just doesn't have that, but he plays the exact same game as yeah. Rondo. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right, man. Simmons is like, he's like me in pickup games. Like if I get a wide open shot beyond like a certain point, I'm not taking it. Um, just because I, no, I have no faith in myself. I have no confidence that I'm going to make it. Um, so the question is like, and for him, that, that range is about eight feet. Like if it's not a hook shot, he's not putting it up. Dude. Right. He's like late career me, which is bad. Right. I mean, you, you don't want your, uh, your, your second, like the, the second superstar in your team, just shooting eight foot baby hooks all night, like a, like an old man. Um, yeah, no, I mean, it, so it begs the question, can he develop what he needs to develop? And it, it, it's so funny because it's like if if my kid was really serious about basketball, I would have him out in the, you know, out in the yard shooting like 17 footers all summer and he would develop that. You know what I mean? So it begs the question, what is this guy doing in in the gym in the offseason? Um, ostensibly, he's working on this. Right. So maybe the. Maybe the piece is more mental than physical. Do you think? Well, I think it's absolutely mental. I mean, well, they've had the two biggest head cases when it comes to just like the basketball version of the yips that I can remember. Yeah. Cause Markel Fultz was on that team and then yep. he just was sort of banished to Orlando for a, you know, a bag of basketballs and a pump or something like that. And right. Fultz was the number one overall pick and he's yeah. just gone from basketball memory at this point. And yep. he, he's another guy who was a good shooter in college and then got to the pros, changed his shot and completely lost it. Yep. Um, and, and Simmons wouldn't shoot in college either. Yeah. He took like two threes in college or something like that. And yeah, it, it, it's definitely mental. And I just, I, I think for some guys, 
there's nothing you can do to get past that. Yeah, yeah. Because it's, right. it's one thing. So, like, Rondo being an example, Rondo would shoot threes. He was just a bad shooter. You yeah. know, shot whatever, 29% on threes. But he would, there are games he'd hit three or four because he just, you know, kind of was feeling it that game. And then there were games he'd go 0 for 5 regularly. Um, he wasn't a great free throw shooter. And he wasn't a great jump shooter. Just it was a, for him. I think it was a physical thing. Like he just didn't have a good feel for shooting. With Simmons, it's just like he. How did nobody knows if he has a feel for shooting, including him, because he won't shoot. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. No, it's crazy, man. It's really wild. So uh, Kawhi is twenty seven. Um, Goodness, so he seems he, like he's like forty six. Dude, he does. He seems like he's been around forever. So he he fits your age paradigm though of like a team who's ready to take his team. Um, to a championship. Well, don't forget, question, he, was, he was already an NBA Finals MVP at, like, 23. Right. Again, though, not his team, but still, right. You're, you're right. Like, the experience is there. And now he has his own team. Um, there are some really interesting, like, you know, kind of second-tier pieces on that team. Does this, does this Toronto team have, uh, like, does this have legs, Toronto to the Finals? Or is Milwaukee just going to, like, crush this dream completely? I think that really depends on if... The secondary guys. So Kyle Lowry has a poor history of playoff mm. performance. Great regular season player. He's like he's a little bit older, a little bit less athletic, but he just doesn't seem to have he doesn't seem to have the confidence or something in big games. Everybody yep. else on that team is kind of new to the playoffs. Although Mark Gasol is not, he played yeah. on a bunch of those uh, grit and grind Memphis teams. Yep. So the question is, can those guys perform well? Because I think it's a good matchup. It'll be fun. Uh, it will two be. very different kinds of teams. Two great stars like Giannis and Kawhi are so fun to watch because they're just yep. unorthodox superstars. Um, yep. And so I'm excited about this because the, I mean, when was the last time the Eastern Conference had a fun? I mean, it was like Cleveland Boston was the last exactly. time there was a fun Eastern Conference Finals matchup. Exactly. Yeah, they seem like decent dudes too. Like yeah. those are two stars that you know, regardless of how that series breaks, you're happy to see either of those guys with their own team in the finals. Then the other piece of it that's fascinating is so like Milwaukee's a team on the rise. They, yeah. you know, there'll be some roster turnover there, but it seems like however it goes this year, they'll be back next year. Yeah. Toronto sure. could be in the lottery next year because Kawhi <laughs> right. might sign with the Clippers, yep. and in which case they'll probably trade Kyle Lowry, and mm-hmm. or he might be a free agent too. I can't remember. Um, in which case it's like they're they're building a team around pascal siakam and expiring contracts good luck with that yeah yeah that's true that's true no you're right man this could be this could be it for toronto for sure um how bad do you want to see golden state lose is this a thing for you because it is for me it's not i i i have tipped into i i love dynasties oh yeah you're i love dynasties i'm an i love dynasties guy and here's the thing i also love when great teams are defeated because uh-huh. that's a great part of sports. So, for example, let's say going to the NFL, you and I both love New England, just yeah. watching them play. I think you're more of a fan, and I'm more of an appreciator. Yeah, um, for sure. But the other thing is, I it's crazy, but I think Golden State is underappreciated. Mm. They're, Interesting. They're Explain. hated, maybe an appropriate amount, because that all the chips have fallen their way. Yeah. But... Name, name the problems with that team other than the fact that they... Well, Draymond Green is a pain and nobody likes him. So he's hateable. Sure. Yeah. Everything else about that team is basically... The problem is they've accumulated more talent than everybody else, but they didn't cheat to do it. Yeah, that's true. They have they have done what they're supposed to do, which is de- to defeat all comers. Yeah. They, you know, my favorite thing about how they closed out Houston was that it was without Durant and without Boogie. Yeah, that was kind of And cool. they still beat Houston. Yeah, because because they still have the two best shooters in the NBA on that team without the NBA's other best scorer. And I don't know, like, I don't see a lot to hate on that team other than the fact that we like to hate success. Yeah, I think that for me, it's just the sick of, sick of it factor. Yeah, like, sick of them, sick of looking at Steph Curry. Like, you know, he's no longer charming. We've talked about this, right? right that's like, true. But but he's yeah. the fact that he's no longer charming, like we've attached too much appreciation for him to like being the clean cut wonder boy and totally. have failed to realize that he's he's one of the he's a transcendent talent and the greatest shooter in NBA history. Yeah. Like no, we are watching the freak. greatest shooter in NBA history and it's it's not close. Yeah. 
they're, they're, I mean, he's going, barring breaking both his ankles, he's going to break all of the three-point records in terms of, in terms of uh, just quantity, number of threes yeah. hit. He's, he's a great percentage shooter, despite shooting like 14 a game. He's still, as far as we know, a great guy in terms of his marriage and his parenting and his community work. And like, there's nothing to hate about him except that we've seen too much of him and have gotten tired yeah. of him. Yeah. That's no, a bad no. reason to hate people. Dude, it is. I know, I, I don't hate him. <laughs> right. Like, I know. I know you don't like yeah. wish ill upon him as a no, person. No, I don't wish ill upon him at all. I, and and yeah, I think it's just it's a lazy fan thing, to be honest, because I'm I'm such a I consider myself such a careful and sort of accomplished football fan in the sense that I know the sport. I love the sport. Um, I'm a deep admirer of of all things Belichick in New England and the way he does things like I just I don't have that same level of commitment to basketball. So as a result, my response is just, yeah, I'm sick of seeing this team. Like, See, I'm sick of these guys, and, you know? And my, so my, my thinking always tips to, who will I miss when they are gone? That's who will true. I miss watching? And realizing that Steph Curry's like 31 or 32, he's pretty close to that anyway. He's 30-ish. He, for a guard, that means he probably only has two to four really good years left. Four yeah. would be yeah. aggressive at this point. Because look at Chris Paul, 33, 34. Yeah. And and he's a shell of himself. Still a great player when he's healthy, but he's healthy a third of the time. Yeah. And so like we're gonna miss Steph Curry when he's gone. Totally. We're gonna miss totally. Kevin Durant when he's gone. We're gonna miss LeBron when he's gone. And it doesn't matter how much you dislike these guys. Cause yeah. I mean, I think back on nineties basketball, I hated Chris Weber. I hated yeah. Kobe Bryant. I hated these guys in the Western Conference. But when they retired, it was like, oh, I really liked hating those guys. <laughs> I really liked watching them because they were f- fantastic. It's going to be like that, and and I think I think the other thing Dude, is they were. in this era of player movement, where guys like no team stays together for very long. A team that can consistently be dominant is kind of rare. So I I'm not rooting for them to win. I think it would be yeah. fun to see an upset, yeah. but if they win, it just feels like I got to be part of watching a, an amazing thing in history. Yeah, it's true, man. I mean, it's it's the basketball analog to what's happening in New England in football. Yeah. Like in in the era of free agency and player movement, it's almost impossible to do what those two teams have done. Like to keep roster continuity and decide to build around the right pieces and just get it right. You know, to get it right year after year and manage the cap and manage salaries and expectations. Um, they've just they've just done it right. You know, and you're you're absolutely correct in saying that it's a it's a really fun thing to watch i should appreciate it more um rather than just wanting to see them lose but uh who's your favorite warrior um steph curry off the table i I think clay thompson would be the funnest hang on the warriors yeah like if i had to if i had to hang out with one of them it would be him i think i think clay is clay is the one guy on that team who i constantly wonder what he would be like on another team yeah because he He's so chill and fits a role there that, you know, like the game when he put up, what was it, 60-whatever points? Yeah. And he dribbled the ball, I think. I think he had (laughs) the ball for a total of, like, a minute and 20 seconds. Yeah. Because it was like, catch off a screen, bang, there's another three. And he he dribbled the ball maybe 11 times or something like that. That's just a unique – but he can. He can dribble the ball. He's a great defender. He's the yep. second best shooter in the NBA. I don't know. I just feel like if you put him on the Sacramento Kings, he'd average like 28 a game, lead the league in three-pointers, and you know be all NBA. But instead, he's just winning a bunch of finals and being super happy where he is and gets along well and has never made waves. He, I think he's, he's definitely underappreciated. And then I think Andre Iguodala is the, the other guy. Yeah. Yeah, because he's just he flies under the radar. He was an all star for a few years in Philadelphia before signing with Golden State and immediately became their sixth man. Yeah. And like the glue guy who he can lock down on defense, you know, make life really difficult for Harden as much as anybody does. Um, And good facilitator on offense, understands who the best players are, how to set them up. And again, just keeps on quietly ticking. And I don't understand how those guys have sort of suppressed their ego in an era where, like, the league is full of Lance Stevensons. Dude, I need more Andre Iguodala's in my classroom and less yeah. Lance Stevensons. You know? Yes. Um, give Give me some Andres. I can work with that. Um, yeah, interesting stuff, Pipe. I, I do love Iguodala, and I, I love the fact that, like, he used to be a superstar. 
you know, he was he was sort of the guy. He was the high flyer in Philly. And um, yeah, he was the know. AI after AI. Like that was yep. the thing. They went yep. from AI to like AI part two. And mm-hmm. then he signed a free agent contract with Golden State and has kind of disappeared, but also had an incredible career because of it. Absolutely. No, man, there's there's a great lesson in that, you know, and that's another that's another, I think, great thing that sports can teach, you know, this generation and and us too. You know, I mean, even in our in our fields, you know, it, it can be all about, I don't know, platforming all the time and making sure your audience is bigger than the next guys and you know, making sure you're getting all the conference bookings and all that stuff. But but at the end of the day, man, there's um there's stuff to be learned from the Andre Guadalas of the world. And I think we can have longer happier careers if we you know if we pay attention to guys like that from time to time for sure um so let's talk about some some less happy matters for me piper as a baseball player or uh, not a baseball player as a baseball fan rather i want to talk about um the red hot start that was experienced by my seattle mariners and then their like subsequent decline here recently um it's been the tale of two seasons for us and um and I want to hear about uh, I want to hear a little update on the twins because things are going much better in uh, in your neck of the woods. So, Pipe, I want to I want to read you some scores. So this was an early season series that we had against the Boston Red Sox. In fact, it was our first series uh, of the entire season. So we won the first game 12 to four. Um, second game, we lost seven to six. Third game, we won six to five. Fourth game, we won 10 to eight. Um, so we took three out of four against the Red Sox to start the season. Then we took, uh, two straight against, which was way uh, more impressive before we realized the Red Sox suck. Yeah, exactly. Although they're playing well now. Uh, we took two straight against Anaheim, um, lost to the White Sox, but then hung two big beatings on the White Sox, actually three, nine to two, 12 to five, uh, 13 to five against the Royals. Um, so we had some major, major run production, early in the season out of Seattle, but then our very last series pipe, uh, I think we gave up a record number of runs in a three game series to the Red Sox. So we lost 14 to one, nine to five, and then 11 to two. And it seems like we're bringing up a bunch of young guys now from the minors. And we've kind of, the season has become, um, in a sense, what we thought it would be, which was just a, a rebuild and an exercise in like player development. Uh, but I think the first couple of weeks of the season, it was kind of a teaser, man. I kind of uh, I, I kind of got on board with the whole idea that we could be good this year, so I'm uh, I'm I'm now into player development mode. <laughs> and I think as a as still a relatively new baseball fan, the thing that that you will become accustomed to if if you're willing to stick with it is that you no month in baseball matters. Mm-hmm. You know, a good month or a bad month, it kind of doesn't matter. Not in dude. Play- that's another really cool thing about the sport, you know, yeah. and it's. It's another thing that you can sort of parallel in the classroom. Like you have a couple of bad exams or a couple of bad papers. Like this is a, this is the long game, right? Um, it, it kind of doesn't matter what you do as a sophomore as long as you've got the skills that you need when you graduate. Right. Yeah. And 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 you you know you st- if you're like me, you know you have like a 1.3 GPA after your freshman <laughs> year, and so yeah, you have set yourself back. It's a it's a steep climb out of that hole. But yeah. you can graduate with a decent GPA, at least in your major classes and things like that. But yeah, so I think for the Mariners, it they, it was it's fun when your team is on a roll. It's just fun yeah. to win. And you know, if you want to get nerdy about it, any like if you're a statistically inclined person, you can look at how they were winning those games and go, oh, this was not sustainable. You know, yeah. guys with no track record, yep, are killing the ball. Young guys are, you know, pitchers. The league just hasn't figured them out yet. They're it's the kind of their first time through the league. Yeah, that happens all the time. Where guys will get called up from the minors, tear it up for about four or five starts. Yep. And then there's film on them, and they go, "Oh, he always throws bit this pitch in that count. He, yeah. you know, lay off the first pitch. You know, lay, lay off the curveball because he he can't throw it consistently. Just sit on the fastball, whatever it is." And that's you know then it's a it's a, it becomes the long game of adjustments and counter adjustments where so you know will yeah. the pitcher then figure out the league and be yeah. able to to make the adjustments and that's where the Mariners are which like you said it's what you expected to start with so it's not like a crushing disappointment it's just yeah oh bummer that runs over dude let me let me ask you this and I don't know if you're in a place where you can do this but as you look at our roster what players do you like 
And uh, I, let, I, let me let me pull it up. I don't have their roster in front of me. I wonder if they're going to be the same players, um, the same players that I like. Because there are some guys on our team that that I hope stay here for a long time, oh, and nice. who I'm really enjoying. But then there's some other guys that I'm like I'm not seeing it necessarily. All right, active roster, Seattle Mariners. All right, let's see here. The first three names are guys I've never heard of. Well, actually, as I'm looking through your pitchers, mm-hmm. I I only recognize the names of three of them. Who are the three? Uh, Marco I, Gonzalez. Uh, nope, I didn't know that name. I don't think so. Okay. Yusei Kikuchi, who is a yeah. is a signing out of he's one of the, he was one of the top Japanese pitchers, and he's yeah. Yusei's been fun, watch. man. Yeah, he's yeah, a, he's been really fun. And he's a dude. Young, Yusei really like pitches in the strike zone really yeah. well. Like he throws strikes, he throws strikes that are hard to hit. He's been really good. I think and he's, he's going to be a nice. He player. throws gas too. Like I, he does. I, I kind of when I when I saw that they signed him and I saw that he was a left-handed six-foot pitcher, I'm like, oh, he's he's a crafty lefty sort of you know mm-hmm. cliche uh yeah. the others who i'm familiar with are anthony swarzak former twin decent bullpen yep. guy and then yep. mike leak who's sort of a journeyman innings eater surprising yeah. career because he's 510 and 170 pounds i was 170 pounds in like fifth grade so um yeah mike leak has been really bad this year well, um, Mike Leake is never good. Mike Leake at yeah. his best is league average, but he's the kind yeah. of guy who keeps getting a job because you're like, well, we need somebody who can go five to six innings in that fifth starter spot, except for exactly. them, he's probably their second starter. So, Dude, right. I mean, he's he's kind of the middle of the middle of the rotation guy, but, um, you know, Wade LeBlanc is still there. I like Wade, but but less because of his pitching and more just, you know. Uh, for other reasons he's, he's just like another version of mike leak too kind of yeah dude felix hernandez is past it yeah well uh, and i'm looking at the active roster i think some of those guys yeah. are um i should probably pull up the 40 man but the some of those guys like i think felix is on the injured list right now mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but he you know he's still fun to watch when he's on but it's like yeah. once every three to four starts so it's like one and a half times a month he goes well all Marco right, go- gonzalez i like a lot he's five and two okay. he's more of a stuff guy like it's not it's he's not overpowering Okay. Um, but let's look at the hitters. Who do you yeah. like? Uh, who do you like hitter wise? Um, well, it's fun seeing Tim Beckham on a roster because he was a hot. He was a really high. Well, him and JP Crawford both really high picks. Crawford's a little bit more of a prospect. Yeah. Um, Beckham's the fact that he has made a career after how bad he started is kind of fun. Yeah, he was a first rounder to Tampa um, Bay in, uh, in 2008. Yeah, I think Crawford has a bright future. D Gordon's got to be your best hitter. Yeah. Um, yeah. He's fun. And then Daniel Vogelbach is, he's just a pleasure to watch because he is six feet and 250 pounds. So that is 50 pounds more than me and two inches shorter than me, which makes me really happy. Dude, Vogel is incredible, man. When, when he gets a hold of it, he crushes yeah. the ball. He's a great fat guy. And then um, Domingo Santana, isn't, he was on the Brewers last year, right? Yep. Sort of yeah, a he's, free, he's free really swinging, well. just mm-hmm. again, monster power hitter who strikes out a ton. Mitch yep. Hanniger, well, I said D Gordon's probably your best hitter. Mitch Hanniger's probably your best hitter. Um, Let me look at the numbers. I think D's hitting, uh, his batting average is, is better than Mitch's. Let's. Yeah. Uh, Hanniger's got a, he's kind of maybe a better yeah. all around player. And then Edwin Encarnacion, I, he's a player I want to like, but I loathe <laughs> him. Why? Because he, he has absolutely eaten the twins alive. Because he was yeah. on, Cle- he was on. First, he was on Toronto, then Cleveland. And when he was on Toronto, he and uh, what was the other guy's name, Jose Bautista? Oh yeah, would just they were like Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig against the Twins. Just ate target field for lunch, and then he does that stupid parrot arm thing when he's rounding the bases after hitting a home <laughs> run. And I just wanted to punch him, but yeah. mainly out of jealousy, like not he- because I actually hate him. I was just like, ah, he did it again, and he's so good. He's another great fat guy, man. We've got two premium fat guys on our team right now. And the funny thing is, and Edwin didn't used to be. He's become fat because he's yeah. he's he's two months older than I am, which yeah. for in major league terms is very old. Yeah, and he can still hammer the ball. He can, and he kind of carries all his weight in like his face and his neck. Yeah, he's a he's you know? a pie face for sure. He carries it very differently than than Vogie. but uh, but yeah, two great fat guys. Do do the Twins have any legendary fat guys this year? Uh, so the twins best fat guy, they don't have like, they, they're a very athletic team this year, which is mm-hmm. mildly disappointing from an aesthetic standpoint. Yeah. Um, the Miguel Sano who has been injured okay. all year has, yeah. I mean, he, he's less fat and more like just mountainous. 
yeah. you know so he's not like big big like john crook gut kind of thing as yeah. much as like you remember frank thomas was just just a oh yeah just a huge guy frank um, thomas looked like he could have played defensive end in the nfl yeah i mean well frank know? thomas was i think he played tight end he was a football auburn. player at auburn yeah, yeah you're right and you're right, uh absolutely. now miguel is not quite as muscular as that but he's a little bit more that way but just mm-hmm. but definitely a little bit more uh squishy yeah um then the other one the pitcher also former mariner uh michael pineda mm-hmm. for the twins is i mean the the man is shaped like an s curve in terms of like <laughs> the the belly bulge and the butt yeah. bulge just He's he's six seven. He's yeah. got to be at least three hundred pounds. I'm sure they list him at two fifty or something. But he's <clears throat> he's three bills easy and just That's fantastic. I love fat pitchers, like fat yeah, power hitters and fat pitchers, because the only thing they can do is one motion. Yeah, and then any like any physical movement that requires fielding the ball or running the bases is just cumbersome. Guys like that though, who are fascinatingly good at the one motion. Like that's I'm I'm always going to be here for that guy, you know. Um, so who are some of the great fat pitchers in history? I'm, I mean, Bartolo Colon is the oh yeah is the, the all time. Well, he's he's probably the all time. Like he he stayed good as he went from like he was f- fairly athletic, kind of thick build when he was you know 23. By the time he retired at 44, if he's officially retired, mm-hmm. he he was 300 pounds easy and still just that one motion. That's yeah. what he could do. Um, yep. David Wells was a fun oh, one. Oh, yeah, David Wells. That's David right. Wells, I mean, it was straight up beer belly. Like, he, he oh, had yeah. the twiggy arms and the twiggy legs and then just that yeah. gut and the mustache. Yeah. Oh, let's see. I'm sure there's a bunch of others. There's been uh, – was I don't know. I can't remember if Rod Beck was really – if it was just his Fu Manchu that made him look real like he had a Fu Manchu and a mullet. He looked like he should have been a fat guy. Yeah, like I think he you know? was a pretty big dude. I think he was too. Um, I'm trying to think. Man, baseball, like all, all the sports have just learned so much about sports science that the fat guy is an anomaly now. Like there used dude, to be know, more fat sucks. basketball players. It. There used to be a lot of fat defensive linemen, and now everybody's just an Adonis and boring. CC Sabathia, is he fat? Yeah, he's he's yeah, he's a little fat. Well, here's the thing. He was fat and he's leaned out a lot. Like I think he went vegan. Oh, um, so he went he went from he was like the left handed Michael Pineda in terms of just being a big, big dude. And then he, uh, and and now he's leaned out. I mean, he's another one though who's figured out. He's he's fun because he went from being kind of overpowering big lefty to still making it work with seven miles per hour less on his fastball and just some yep. inconsistencies. And he's and he's still making a career out of it. Dude, remember Dimitri Young? This is a hitter, not a pitcher, but oh, yeah. uh, from the old Tigers. Yeah, he's yeah. a great fat guy. Delman. Well, the, the Tigers have some some classic, like Cecil Fielder's maybe the all time great fat hitter. Yeah, you're right. He man. was like a you're slow pitch right. softball guy. Like you look at him and you're like, that swing doesn't make any sense in a league where people throw moving pitches. Yeah, and he he killed it for a few years. He wasn't a good average hitter, but he crushed the ball. Dude, remember a pitcher from like the the late '80s, early '90s named Rick Russell played for the Giants. He was less of like a, a total fat guy, but just kind of looked like a dad, you know. He had the he had the kind of sloppy dad, the dad build. Um, he was fun. Who else, man? There's got to be some great fat guys that were that we're forgetting. Oh, I mean, in terms, uh, in terms of hitters, I mean, I mentioned John Krug John Krug, yeah, for sure. He, uh, Matt Stairs was a fun one. Oh yeah, Matt Stairs was a good one. Um, who else? Let's see. Uh, th- I'm sure listeners are shouting their favorite fat players. There's been a number of catchers who you look at and you're like, I don't know if they're so much fat as just squat. Squat. They look, they look yeah, like fire right. hydrants. They look square. Yeah, uh-huh. like a little cube back there. Um, Absolutely. I'm trying to think. Let's see. Like, Dude, Fernando Valenzuela was kind of fat. The legendary yeah, he was, Dodgers. He was pitcher. another guy who who uh, who definitely wore it in his face. Like he was a puffy yeah. face guy. Yep. Um, well, dude, in the all-time kind of twins fat guy, Kirby Puckett. You, you know, know? it's funny. Kirby wasn't fat. He was Interesting. just like he, he. By the end of his career, he had gotten a little. He had gotten a little softer on the middle, but like he yeah. was just one of those guys who. I mean, he probably could squat six hundred pounds. Sure, just a big, thick pair of legs Strong. and butt, and yeah. like just yeah. muscle. Because you go back and watch the ninety-one World Series. The man was again built built very much fire hydranty, mm-hmm. but the catch he made at the wall in Game Six, he's a solid three feet off the ground, vertical. Like he didn't push off the wall, he ran to the wall, paused, and jumped straight up in the air. 
and had he was five eight and could dunk a basketball. So I mean, he was he wasn't just the one motion guy. He was a good athlete too. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. Um, let's see. Frank Thomas was squishy by the end, but again, he was just more really big framed than he was fat. Man, Absolutely. I really feel like we're missing some fat pitchers here. Yeah. I wonder what Google will tell me if I just Google fat pitchers. Let's see. This is you do that. And while you're doing that pipe, I want to transition us into our the first our... the first eight images are of Bartolo yeah. Colon. <laughs> nice. There you go. There you go. So we're so we did a good job, I think. Yeah, let's see. All right. Twenty five greatest fat baseball players of all time. This is There you go. All right, let's see. Dimitri Young is listed on here. Uh nice. bunch of guys we've never heard of. Man, they went back old school. Sid Fernandez. 80, yeah, 80s I remember Mets that guy. Mets, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mo Vaughn. How could we forget Mo Vaughn? Oh, yeah. Ultimate fat and, guy. And he was like, yeah, he had like the squishy belly hanging over his belt. Um, LeVon Hernandez was pretty chunky by the end of his career. Mm-hmm. Yep. Rick Ruschel is listed yeah. on here as well. Um, man, there's some good ones. Bob Horner. He was just another one who looked very dad-like. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of thick, kind of dad-like. Yeah, David Wells, John Crook, good, got those. Greg Lazinski. Oh, yeah, I remember that name. I didn't think of him as a fat guy. No, just more like a thick thick white dude. Oh, how could we forget Prince Fielder, the son of Cecil Fielder? Dude, second generation fat guy, man. Those are the best. Miguel Cabrera, that's a good one. Like, And the thing about Miguel Cabrera is he... Miguel Cabrera is all of us, you know, at his athletic peak when he comes into the league in his early 20s and he's now 35 and he looks every bit of 35, you know, he's got the 35 year old waistline, the 35 year old saggy pants, all of it. Absolutely. Yeah, there's absolutely Fernando's on here. Valenzuela. That's yep. So they listed Kirby. They're wrong about that. Oh, and let's just finish it off with this one. Tony Gwynn. Tony Gwynn, dude. Again, though, almost like Kirby, was he fat or was he actually just well, kind t- of? Tony was lean when he like through the eighties and early nineties, and then that's true. He and got, then he fat got at the squishy, end. but yeah. he just had that like wave a wand bat style. That he became a one motion guy, yeah. like we talked about. Yep. You know, he could do one thing, and he just did that one thing insanely well. Um, Pipe, I have to sign off here in a minute, but I want to I want to actually end by recommending and talking about a sports movie real quick. Um, so it had been a long time, probably since Moneyball that I'd really seen a sports movie that blew my mind, um, that captured my imagination that totally sucked me in. And, uh, I saw the next one of these this last weekend. Um, it's Borg versus McEnroe, the tennis movie that had Shia LaBeouf. Uh, did you happen to see this movie pipe? You know, you said two things that made me disinclined to see it. One was Shia LaBeouf and the other was Tennis Movie. But sell me. Let's talk about your Shia LaBeouf problems. Why Why is that an issue for you? This uh, is fascinating. So the phrase no, 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 no is to him what all right, all right, all right is to Matthew McConaughey. Except that uh, he's more annoying. There was just like an angsty arrogance about him that just made yeah. me want to punch him every time I saw him for the first several movies of his career. Which isn't to say he's never had a good performance. Yeah. Uh, but but I just don't like him. He could, I actually think he's a... I think he's a phenomenal actor. I think I can come him? around on him. He's just been in some terrible movies and had some terrible performances. Dude, he's been in some great movies, though. He, he has done some terrible movies, though. In your, in your defense, you're absolutely right. Um, one of our favorite movies is this foreign thing called The Necessary Death of Charlie Countryman. Um, if you ever have an evening and nothing to do, you should, uh, you should dial that one up when the, when the girls aren't in the house because um, it's pretty, pretty rough and gritty. But uh, the whole thing takes place in uh, Bucharest, uh, Romania, mm-hmm. and um, he's great in it. It's, it's kind of a gritty dramatic sort of romance thing but um but yeah he's incredible that was really my first like appreciating Shia LaBeouf thing and then uh yeah this Borg versus McEnroe um unbelievable character study great great cinematography just a beautiful like um time and place kind of movie in terms of like Wimbledon in the 80s and really just getting getting the fashion right getting the set design right and what it was was basically a study of these guys who appeared very different, you know, Borg was sort of the, the machine, like no feelings yeah, like on the cyborg. court. Yeah. He was, yeah, he was like a cyborg. He was like a machine. And, and of course McEnroe was like, he, he shared all the emotions, you know, 
Um, but in reality, per the movie, like Borg was actually every bit as emotional as McEnroe. And in fact, the two ended up becoming like best friends later in life. They were so best man at each, each other's wedding. Um, Shia LaBeouf played McEnroe and some Swedish guy played Bjorn Borg and he was incredible. He was really, really good. It wasn't the guy who plays, uh, the guy from uh, game of Thrones, was it? Dude, I don't know, man, because I'm not a Game of Thrones watcher, but it might be. You know, it might be. Um, right, but me... yeah, that that's one that's worth watching. Um, and and it was interesting. I was watching it with KK, and she was like, she turns to me and she goes, "You're you're John McEnroe with me, but you're Bjorn Borg like in public and with everybody else," which I thought was fascinating in terms of just kind of how how fake Borg had to be to like control himself on the court. Um, that's how fake you are on this podcast. That's how fake I am. Not, not on the podcast, but, but in most of my life, yes, I am that fake. But, um, well, how how else do you deal with the Lance Stevenson students in your life? Oh, dude, totally. You can't John McEnroe them. You will be out of a job in a minute. Dude, right. If I was like smashing my racket and screaming obscenities at every Lance Stevenson (laughs) scenario, I would be, I would be out of there, you know, um, super. So Sverer Goodnison plays. Okay. Uh, Bjorn Borg. That's not somebody I'm familiar with, but that's not the Game of Thrones guy. No, uh, but man, he he looks he looks like a Bjorn Borg. Like just yeah. he has the, he has a look of like because Borg had that super just stone faced icy stare. That's yeah, like, exactly. That's, okay, now I want to see this. That does look good. Dude, this guy had it, and he had a dreamy head of hair too. Unbelievable <laughs> head of hair. <laughs> Um, watch it for the hair. Watch it for the performances. And you are a connoisseur of men's uh, long locks. I can't help myself, man. I can't help myself. But uh, but yeah, great movie. Actually, I watched it on a Friday night, and then Tristan and I woke up early Saturday morning, and I, I was telling him about it. He's like, you want to watch it again? And I'm like, heck yeah, man. So I showed it to Tris Saturday morning, watched it twice in two days. Um, great movie. Yeah, awesome. let me know what you think of it once you, uh, once you get a chance to yeah, view I'll it. Yeah, check it out for sure. Yeah, Pipe, we have uh, we have done what we always do on this program, man, and that we have we have wandered to and fro throughout some of these topics, NBA playoffs, the Lance Stevenson effect, fat baseball players, and until next time, Daniel Vogelbach. The Happy Rant is brought to you by Resonate Recordings. If you go to ResonateRecordings.com, you can see the full range of services they offer. So if you're considering starting a podcast, they are the ones we recommend going with. Again, go to ResonateRecordings.com to see their prices, to connect with them and ask any questions, and to see what they can do to help you launch, edit, master, and improve your podcast. Again, go to ResonateRecordings.com to see what they can do to help you launch and improve your podcast. Hey everybody, I'm Dale. And I'm Tamara. And we're hosts of the Kynos Project podcast. Where we help you tackle ancient Christian truths in everyday settings. The word Kynos means new, and that's exactly what we want to do on our podcast. Bring something new from what is old in our faith. And on this show, you might hear us explore topics like what the Bible has to say about student loan forgiveness, discuss how the satanic temple affects our view of religious liberty in America, or even question why is it that so many people are having rapture anxiety. To learn more about the podcast, go to lifeaudio.com.